System failure. System failure. You crashed here 90 days ago. The baby was conceived about eight weeks ago. So, 53 days. You got pregnant on the island. I'm sorry, I'm so sorry, son. I will do everything I can. Hello, everyone. Matt here, and welcome to Looking Back at Lost, where each week I look at another episode of ABC's Lost to see how that episode fits into the series as a whole. Today I'll be covering episode 318, entitled D.O.C. This is the 67th hour of the series, and there are 54 to go. Before we head into the Wikipedia summary, a quick programming note. I will be making an announcement about the podcast in two episodes' time. I think it will be very apropos indeed. Something for you to look forward to, your own little mystery. So with that, let's now jump into the Wikipedia summary for the episode. In flashbacks, we see Sun in a park. A middle-aged woman sitting next to her points out Sun's wedding photograph with Jin in the newspaper and inquires if it's her. Sun says it is. The woman suggests that it would be embarrassing if the world were to find out that the daughter of the wealthy Pike family had married a man whose mother was a prostitute. The woman demands money as blackmail. Later, son asks her husband about his family. He tells her that his mother died when he was a child, then gives conflicting stories on when his father died. She pushes for more information, and he grows angry and asks her to drop the issue. Son visits Jin's father without his knowledge, who confirms the woman's story. He never told Jin his mother was a prostitute and is still alive. He pleads with Son not to tell his son the truth. He also mentions that he raised Jin alone and is not sure if he is even his biological father. Son then visits her father and asks for the money. When he demands a reason, she tells him that she never pried into his affairs, which are clearly illegal and would like the same respect. However, she admits that the money will prevent great shame from coming to someone she loves. Mr. Pike realizes she means Jin and tells her that he will bear the debt by working directly for him. Jin discovers the money in Sun's purse. She concedes she got it from her father but claims it was just for furniture and their honeymoon. Jin says that he does not want to be in her father's debt anymore and asks her to return it. Sun agrees but then goes directly to the park where the woman is waiting. Sun gives her the money and reveals that she knows the woman's identity. She is Jin's biological mother. The blackmailer callously shrugs this off, and Sun threatens to have her father kill the woman if she reveals her existence to Jin. Back in the island stories, we start with Sun's pregnancy. Jack inquires about that pregnancy in a manner that arouses her suspicions. Sun asks Kate about Jack's loyalty. Kate suggests that she talk to Juliet who reveals that pregnant women die on the island. Juliet convinces her to leave with her to go to the staff station. It is revealed that women who conceive on the island do not survive. Sun says Jin was infertile before coming to the island, also that she had an affair with Jay Lee before the crash. She fears revealing these facts to Jin. The tests reveal the conception took place after the crash, hence Jin is the father. Juliet secretly leaves a message for Ben on a tape recorder, explaining her findings with Sun and promising to get the sample from Austin and Kate. 
She then stops the tape and whispers, I hate you. Elsewhere, Desmond, Hurley, Jin, and Charlie are arguing how to care for the mysterious parachutist. Hurley accidentally shoots off a flare, drawing Mikhail to them, who was thought to have died in an earlier episode. He attempts to flee, but Jin subdues him. The other three question him, revealing that Saeed, Kate, and Jack told them how he'd supposedly killed them by the sonic fence. Mikhail says he was a field medic and offers to help save the parachutist's life. They promise to let him go. The woman fades in and out of consciousness, at one point speaking in Mandarin Chinese. She also tells them in Portuguese that she is not alone. Mikhail seems to understand this, but tells Desmond she merely said, thank you. He keeps his word and they keep theirs. Jin stops Mikhail from taking the phone, and the man is allowed to leave empty-handed. The parachutist asks Hugo who he is, and Hugo tells her he was on Oceanic Flight 815. On his response, she says, that's not possible, because they found the plane. There were no survivors. They were all dead. So with that cliffhangery ending, let's now get into my thoughts about the episode. It's a strange confluence of previously on Lost's that we see. Last week's landing of the unnamed Naomi. Uh, son doing it with Jay Lee. Son and Jen able to, uh, unable to conceive and her being pregnant on the island. The story proper opens with Son gardening and creepy music leading to Jack arriving. Of course, it's kind of meant to be a bit of an echo to uh, when Son was, uh, was attacked in her garden by Charlie. Uh, there's some nice, mild exposition about Jin being gone, meaning, see last week's episode, as well as, as, well as the state of Sun's pregnancy. Jack asks if she's had any bleeding, which were very clearly meant to connect to Juliet's info that pregnant women die on the island if they've conceived on the island. Nonetheless, Sun is very defensive, uh, overly so, I think, given that, you know, to be fair, Jack has only been back a short while. Uh, you know, he's the de facto, well, obviously he's the de facto doctor. He's the, you know, her, uh, her de facto OBGYN, and she's never had a baby before. So uh, it's, it's a little hand of the writer for her to be so defensive because he is just the doctor checking in with someone who he hasn't seen in a while over uh, the new experience of being of being pregnant but uh, anyhow i mean obviously though it's with these overtones of where the uh you know where the episode is going to go in terms of the risk uh that her pregnancy uh carries no pun intended with that the story moves to flashback with lovey-dovey son and Jin in the throes of their new marriage son sits by a very chatty woman who all of a sudden has all sorts of questions for son including how many people uh, know that Mr. Pike's daughter has married uh, the son of a fisherman and a prostitute. Uh, and indeed, it's then added she'd better return in three days with money to silence the story. Now, obviously, this is uh, actually Jin's mother. Um, I suppose I'll save kind of the, the, the family pondering for a bit later in the podcast. But certainly there's this, uh, you know, there's this theme of Parents in the episode, the theme of mothers perhaps is a bit more direct. It's, you know, uh, Jin's mother. Uh, although, I mean, it's parenting too. Son goes to see her father. But, um, 
Yeah, anyhow, we'll, we'll return to that in due course uh, when the episode reveals it is, uh, it is Jin's mother. Um, the flashback ends with the, the jungle bunch, as I like to call them, uh, kneeling over uh, Naomi, who Hurley says is saying, I'm dying. And I think he identifies it as Spanish. I thought it was supposed to be uh, Portuguese, although obviously she, obviously she does uh, flip through, the, through different languages in the course of the episode. So fair is fair. Either way, he's able to do some translating there. Uh, then things pick up. When it's revealed that she's been impaled by a branch. That, of course, is a snappy way to take us to, to the title card. And indeed, we do go to the title card. Uh, then, afterwards, it's Sun in flashback in their happy new apartment. There's a nice bit of flirting between the two of them. Though Sun quickly asks about Jin's family, and he is very clearly evasive. And it's good acting, as is almost always the case out of Daniel Tae Kim. It's a caged-in sort of uh, separation in Jin's eyes. Um, Just kind of him, he's kind of definitely feeling these are not the kind of questions he he would like to be answering. Flashback ends with Sun and Kate wondering about Jack's experiences with the others. Uh, And you know what? It's a nice bit of suspicion from Sun to Jack down to spelling out the central question of the episode, at least the question for our characters, if not us. Maybe the others want Sun's baby. And, you know, I don't, I don't recall that being at the forefront of my mind when I was seeing these episodes uh, as new episodes. Uh, as I was watching it, I didn't feel that that was particularly a point that they were hammering home. But it is completely logical within the, the character uh, to have that suspicion. And then you add to it what we as the audience know uh, on first viewing that, um, well, simply put, the Juliet is a mole. So it, uh, you know, if, if nothing else, it's adding to the tension a little bit. It's another option. It's another reason uh, or another possible answer why Juliet is here. And we know, of course, that she's torn. We'll see more of that in the episode when she uh, says how much she hates Ben. But there's this... You know, what exactly... Fine, Juliet hates the boss. How much of the boss's bidding is she doing? And what is that bidding indeed? Um, anyhow, luckily the show isn't inclined to let the, the confrontation, to let the question linger for too long. I want to know about your research. Son, what happens to pregnant women? You're pregnant. Are you sure? How do you know? I asked you a question. Everyone else might be all right with you washing your clothes and eating our food. I want to know what's going on. I want answers. What are you people doing? Why are you taking children? What happens to pregnant women on this island? What happens They die. They all die. Come on, let's go. There's a nice little Giacchino string pull uh, right at that moment where uh, where uh, Juliet cops to the truth. Uh, it certainly is a mark for us to to uh, essentially to trust her, despite what we know. Um, it's also just a, you know, a bit of a dark reminder there, and it of course is Giacchino doing what Giacchino does best. 
With that, the story moves to the jungle with Punch, trying to decide what the best thing is to do for Naomi to prevent her from, you know, dying. Uh, which is ironic, because they're interrupted by Mikhail, who we thought was dead. And this, of course, is uh, singer enough to end the act. After the break, Jin gives chase. Uh, and what ends up being both a really good chase scene and a, a pretty slamming fist fight. Jin getting picked up by his neck for overpowering Mikhail with some martial arts. Who are you? I said, who are you? He's the guy who shot Saeed. Kate told us he lived out in that station. Lock blew up. He's another. I thought Locke killed that guy with the electro-fence thingy. You've got five seconds to talk. Why fire this gun, brother? That's a flare gun. And how do you think it'll feel? Taking a flare to the chest at this range? As your friend pointed out, I already died once this week. It's a lovely bit of bravado there from Mikhail, and also a lovely bit of irony that Charlie recognizes him from talk round the campfire. Ironic, of course, because this is the man who will kill Charlie. Mikhail, at this point, offers to use his Soviet field medic skills to look at Naomi, who he declares as dying but savable, if they release him once he's done. Again, the irony screams out, no, you know, she's the baddie and he should be killed to prevent Charlie from dying, shouldn't he? Uh, but instead, Desmond asks what he needs, which is an implicit agreement to what uh, Mikhail is asking for. Story moves to a thoughtful son sitting on the beach. There's really, there's a fantastic little camera move. Uh, it's a close camera move at her eye level, which is to say she's sitting, so it's, you know, what, about a yard off the ground or so, uh, as she's watching Claire happy with baby Aaron. Uh, I don't know, just, it, it's, it's, We've seen camera moves like that before. Certainly, the uh, the uh, lock, uh, I mean, wraparound shot uh, from uh, was at the end of Walkabout, I think it was, but where he's watching uh, Michael and Walt. Um, I know that that, that was uh, repeated in another lock episode, but um, this one is just kind of notable for being quite close to her and, and kind of lovely. Anyhow, uh, the story moves. Uh, oh, sorry, where you said that. Uh, the story moves to flashbacks, rather, uh, to business-dressed son approaching the fisherman, Mr. Kwan, who immediately recognizes her and shares his big, happy smile. This is a fantastic actor that they have to play Mr. Kwan, and he really portrays uh, the character's humbleness, uh, or rather, the humble acceptance of Jin's lies about his father. To a point, though, uh, because he does look deeply wounded to hear that Jin has said that his father is dead. Uh, Sun then asks about Jin's mother. Mr. Kwan elegantly says that the mother, the mother was with many men and dropped the baby off. And who else would care for this baby? It's supremely touching and pure. Uh, you see the love he has for his son. And after kind of reflecting on his own sadness, he's smiling and proud reminds son that all is best if uh, these lies are, are kept hidden away uh, the scene concludes with a lovely uh, little Jacino moment and he really you know oftentimes does so well 
uh, with these Sun and Jin stories. So let's let's take a listen. Did you pick up there how the musical phrase concludes uh, as the island story resumes uh, for we're back to Sun, uh, who is woken almost Ethan to Claire style by Juliet, who declares that there may be hope yet. Certainly an understatement on this show, the notion of there being hope. With that, the act ends, and then we return with uh, Juliet and Sun going through the jungle to, exposition tells us quite directly, the medical station where Juliet will use hidden tools to determine Sun's D-O-C, which she spells out is date of conception. If the baby was conceived before the crash, great. If it was on island, then we're in trouble. With that, we flash back to Sun going to see her father. Uh, um, there's an amusing, what well, I found to be amusing anyway, a very small touch that Mr. Pike's secretary would be showing a bit of cleavage at the office. Isn't that what we would imagine Mr. Pike would, would want to look at? Anyhow, Sun uh, quite directly asks her father for the $100,000 of hush money. Uh, it's interesting to, to reflect on the evolution of Sun, at least in this nonlinear fashion, um, because here she's standing up to her father, declaring uh, that for her whole life she's been pretending that she doesn't know what type of work he does, so he should pay up. In return, she's going to continue to be blind for her father, and he indeed does pay up with that string attached that Jin will need to pay it off uh, to move up in the organization to essentially be that bruiser that we first met. Um, and there's kind of that wonderful irony, I think, that we're, we're certainly long since past uh, placing blame on Sun for, for things. We're certainly well past that, uh, you know, the glass ballerina incident and, and the Sun that we saw then. But um, it's just interesting to think that that son got got Jin on that path uh, but anyhow the flashback ends and Mikhail is working on Naomi Hurley tells him that they found a satellite phone and you know the look on Charlie's face is just the biggest WTF of all time it's you know Jorge Garcia playing playing it for the comedic beat and you know boy it's just uh yeah, it's it's a wonderfully funny moment, but I think there's also this sense of, ooh, did they, has too much been said now? Uh, Hurley, of course, amusingly backpedals, refusing to say if the phone actually works. At this point, Mikhail says he needs a helper and also space to work, meaning one of you help, everybody else leave. Uh, Desmond stays, and it's at this point where we hear why sound designers are sound designers. We need to evacuate the air now. Hold her steady. Steady! I, I heard you. <laughs> Is that normal? <laughs> Goes. With that, Naomi has one less stick in her lung and is apparently uh, better breathing. Though she, she does mention something that Mikhail translates aloud as thank you, but it certainly has a sense of foreboding after that, uh, you know, ooey gooey, juicy scene there. 
Story moves back to Sun and Juliet entering the medical hatch, complete with its creepy strobe light flashing fluorescent light action that's that goes on in there, at least until Juliet hits the power. At this point, uh, Juliet spells out her motives. She wants to give Sun good news after three years of giving bad news to dying mothers. This, of course, at least is kind of the, the surface motivation, because I think in the back of our heads we're still wondering, do they have an eye towards uh, Sun's baby? Anyhow, Sun expositions back and uh, refers to her canoodling with Jay Lee. Uh, so now that we're all on the same page of Juliet has shared part of her backstory and Sun has shared part of her, her backstory, uh, Juliet uses the secret lever to reveal the secret room filled with teddy bears and cribs. Hey, isn't that from Claire's room? Uh, and why is the room so secret? The act ends with the answer. This is where women were brought to die. Back to Naomi. Uh, Mikhail says uh, that Naomi will be good to go in a day, or maybe a day and a half, he admits, after reminding Charlie that the uh, and the audience that people heal differently here. With that, he's set free, uh, though seconds later we, fa- we play Follow the Prop, as it turns out that he stole the sat phone. Charlie deliciously calls for Mikhail to have his other eye taken, and declares that they can't keep letting others go. A prescient thought indeed there. Not letting go of the man that will kill you. Uh, it is, though, a little bit of an odd scene. Is it perhaps only there for foreshadowing? Is it a, for a reminder of the phone's presence? Of the threat that Mikhail has over them? I don't quite have an answer for that. But the, the story moves to Sun getting her exam, where the particulars are explained... Measure the fetus, and that will reveal the D-O-C. Sun also spells out the central touching conflict. She loses either way. If the baby isn't Jin's, she's pregnant by another man. If it is Jin's, she's going to die. With Juliet declaring it's the moment of truth, and we're all on the edge of our seats, of course, we flash back to the mostly furnished apartment. Uh, it's enjoyable, as always, to see lovey-dovey Jin before he became that bruiser for Pike. Uh, he's not happy for long, though. He finds $100,000, and Sun covers it up with a lie uh, that it's for furniture and a honeymoon. She promises to give it back, though in an odd, somewhat frightening camera move, they softly kiss, and she looks away from him and directly into the camera. Uh, it's it's shocking. It's, you know, any time that you have a show that, um, you know, has that bro- that fourth wall and then breaks it, it's, it's, it's jarring. Uh, I think, too, it's a bit of a reminder of that spoiled princess uh, that we saw in, in season one flashbacks, and even into season two and season three, I suppose. With that, the flashback ends, and Juliet is continuing the exam. I can see it. <laughs> Is it a boy or a girl? Oh, it's it's a little early. <laughs> but, um... Do you see that little flutter? <laughs> That's the heart beating. <laughs> it's very strong. It's very healthy. Okay. You crashed here 90 days ago. 
baby was conceived about eight weeks ago. So, um, 53 days. You got pregnant on the island. I'm sorry, I'm so sorry, son. I will do everything that I can. It's just... You know, this is, uh, in many ways, I think it's a shocking scene uh, on either first viewing or repeat. At least for me, I had forgotten that it was Jin's baby. I mean, after all, we know that she doesn't die, right? Well, at least not here, not now, not from this. Uh, I think the first-time viewers would have assumed that she won't die as well. Uh, the notion that there's now a ticking time bomb is, is a shocking one. Uh, and also, I think it's some foreshadowing that she'll get off the island in the next 30 weeks of her pregnancy. Or, as we'll learn in, in an upcoming scene, in, in the next 12 weeks or so, as most of the women made it to the middle of the second trimester, which we'll call 20 weeks, and she's eight weeks along. And now, I mean, let's just kind of really focus on this for a moment. This, this right here, is the first clue that they are going to leave the island or that some people will anyway, that the show as we imagined it, crash on the island, spend time on the island, what was the last episode always going to be in the first three seasons? Uh, you know, what, what did we imagine that the final episode would be? Getting off the plane. When we have the Oceanic Six and that you know door opens and they're home, wasn't that always going to be the series finale? We all knew it, right? We didn't know who it would be, but it would be some people get off. Some people leave. Obviously, we were very wrong about that, at least in terms of that being the, the end of the series. Um, if anything, it's it's close to the midpoint. But um, this here, this ticking time bomb of sun, is the first clue that some people are going to get off the island. It's not Bearded Jack in the season finale, although that obviously is the bigger clue, the biggest clue. If we assume that the show is committing to this, and Juliet, you know, the, the, the notion of this ticking time bomb of her pregnancy, um, Juliet told us a few scenes ago that nine of nine women impregnated on the island have died in the last three years. And the only assumption can be, if the show is going to you know, commit to that logic, that Sun will be 10 for 10. But I think in our hearts, as first-time viewers, it doesn't feel right. The show wouldn't do some protracted, bloody OBGYN scene to kill off not only a main character, but an unborn baby. Uh, it seems both an inelegant storyline and, frankly, a bit brutal for network TV. And if the island is a problem or the problem then this is indeed our first hint that she's leaving, and fairly soon, at least in island time. Uh, to me, it's just this stunning pre-clue. They're really going to hammer it home, you know, in, in that, that season finale, where we're all sitting there going, when did he have a beard? What's possibly going on? What's I don't quite understand where this Jack flashback fits in. And then, boom, we have to go back, we have to go back. Um... That's 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 the big headline there, but this is the little little hint before it. Anyhow, it's you know uh, son finding out that it's Jin's baby. That's what ends the act. 
and we return in flashback where it's three days later. Sun confronts her blackmailer, who she identifies as Jin's mother. Shocker! Sun says that if the lie of the dead mother gets floated to Jin as a lie, then Sun will make sure that it comes true. Which is a moment of fierceness there. Uh, however, that fierceness is very quickly contrasted with beaten down Sun back on the island, realizing that she has two months to live before the island takes her. Juliet is so wonderful here with her kind bedside manner uh, that she goes back inside to quote-unquote double-check. And just as she's doing that, I think that's when we're saying, oh, wait a minute, isn't she a mole? Isn't there something extra going on? But indeed, she does go back inside with plans. Ben, it's 6 a.m. on Saturday morning. Quan is pregnant. The fetus is healthy and was conceived on island with her husband. He was sterile before they got here. I'm still working on getting samples from the other women. I should have Austin's soon. I'll report back when I know more. I hate you. It's a nice little coda there. Uh, she doesn't record her hate of Ben, but we see it. When we wonder if she's got some good to her. Uh, with that, the story moves to the stretcher taking, uh, the stretcher making, rather, for Naomi. Uh, Charlie again advocates killing any other that causes trouble. Uh, but in the distance, uh, Hurley is sitting with Naomi. And uh, frankly, at this point, she mind screws us. Uh, first time viewers, and, and even on, on repeat viewing, there's still a, a, a power to it. And it's a mind screw that. I, I mean, to my memory, it's the likes of with which that we haven't had in some time. Are you here to rescue us? Are there more of you? Can you make your phone work? Who are you? Hugo Reyes. I crashed here on Oceanic Flight 815. A bunch of us survived. Is that why you're here? Were you looking for us? 815? Flight 815? The one from Sydney? Yeah. Oh. It's not possible. Yeah, I know. It wasn't easy, but we found food. No. And the hatch. No, and more flight food. 815. They. They found the plane. There were no survivors. They were all dead. What? Now, first things first, this is an obvious reference or, or, or bone thrown towards the they're actually dead theory. Um, and I think that it's unquestionably meant to be our first reaction, that just as we've stopped thinking that they're actually dead, right? Just as, frankly, someone, ha you know, we, we've, we've seen proof from, let's see, uh, Ben sending Richard to Portland to show uh, Juliet's uh, sister's child, Julian, just as there's been all these things to really show us that this is uh, a real place. Um, all those facts that we have, seeing the plane break apart over, over Othersville, etc., etc., etc. Now, all of a sudden, wait, our, you know, we have these facts, but our faith is questioned, our faith in those facts. Um, however, 
as we do look back and, and look ahead, uh, this all fits with the, the Widmore storyline, right? Uh, which is a much, I mean, not only is it the correct answer, it's kind of a much cleaner one. We know that there was already that balloon, the Henry Gale balloon. Uh, here we have a second attempt to get there, to get to the island. Uh, Widmore has hidden the truth of 815 crashing, as we'll see in the season four opener, I believe. And he sent Naomi and uh, the, the the freighter folk that are that are not far away. Still, though, it's just an absolutely bone chilling way to end things. It's a it's a serious, no holds barred sort of sort of ending where it just gives you a good thrill, a good a good uh, shiver up your spine. And on that uh, shiverous note, let's take a look at Lostpedia, which had just a trove of stuff, lots of good stuff. So some of it kind of procedural, some of it a bit more interesting, but here we go. First, Juliet claims son's baby was conceived 53 days ago. This would place conception just before Jin stopped speaking to son because she had lied to him about learning English in trans in dot 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 in translation. So I know there's been you know what I think people's unencyclopedic memory is. Uh, the notion of uh, oh was that after Jin returned from the uh, the the uh, the raft expedition and and Anne Lucia and all that 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 one scene of Jin and Son waking up in the morning Jin shirtless and uh, Hurley kind of giving him the attaboy I think that's that's what in our hearts we like to think was the date of conception fine so that lines up differently it's you know whatever. Uh, let's see. Also from Lostpedia, when Sun asks for the money from her father, it is in U.S. dollars instead of Korean won. Uh, there's then a further explanation since the time of this flashback. Uh, not a further explanation. I think, whatever, the, the direct explanation of that is, they just call it dollars instead of won, which does strike me as a bit strange, but whatever. Um, flip side, uh, or a bit of a flip side, uh, about this money issue uh, is this since at the time of the flashback the highest korean banknote was the equivalent to the u.s 10 it would have taken a staggering amount of them to pay the ransom ten thousand bills to be exact so you know i guess the flip side is maybe it was u.s money i mean i know it's kind of you know that that the dollar is used uh, around the world given its you know power and whatnot um so i guess if you're going to Ransom somebody for a hundred thousand dollars, not ransom. If you're going to blackmail someone for a hundred thousand uh, dollars or a hundred thousand won, I guess it's best to pay it off in dollars, not won. But anyhow, lovely little tidbit here. Uh, when Sun enters Pike's office, she overhears him arguing with an employee. This is the only Korean conversation not translated in the in the entire episode. One translation is the employee saying. We haven't received the forged conveyance permit yet, Mr. Chairman. And Pike says, I heard the Hanso Foundation is filled with anger at the fact that our side didn't offer the equipment. The little Hanso Foundation uh, tidbit there. Continuing on, Jin says that his father died when he was in the army. Uh, that he was in the army is confirmed by a picture on the wall uh, of his father's shack with Jin in uniform. Also in the background of the shack is a martial arts trophy, providing continuity on why Jin was able to roundhouse kick Mikhail so proficiently. Further explanation goes on to say, all Korean men are required to serve in the army when they reach a certain age. 
Also, Jin's profession as a quote-unquote negotiator also contributes to his knowledge of martial arts and taking people down. Uh, continuing on, after Mikhail and Desmond treat Naomi's wound, and this is something that was kind of hinted at in the uh, in the Wikipedia summary, but uh, well, that's okay. Uh, after Mikhail and Desmond treat Naomi's wound, she says something in Portuguese that's not spelled out in uh, captions. Mikhail claims uh, that it is "thank you for helping me," but uh, instead, what she says is. Uh, I won't even try and butcher it in the Korean, but uh, it's Portuguese for I am not alone. Uh, and uh, Lostpedia wraps up by saying this is the... Uh, well, first let's ponder on that in a moment. Interesting little bit there, a little tidbit. Indeed, she is not alone. Uh, I mean, it, it's it's the greater part of season four where we will be, uh, you know, spending time with these uh, with the freighter people. Uh, so there you go. I mean, that's, that's, it's interesting that we're kind of, you know, we're at a point in season three where we're clearly headed towards the end, but it's almost as though season four has started, you know, season three really is about the others and we're basically done with them in a large way. I mean, yeah, we're going back to them next week. So I guess that's maybe to say we're done with them. It's a bit much. But um, it's just interesting that we've essentially already started season four here. The freighter people are here, even though we don't know their deal. Last but not least, and this is just just a great one here. Uh, this is the last episode to feature off-island 815 Survivor flashbacks, typical to the first three seasons of the show. Typical flashbacks were set before the crash of Oceanic. 815 and followed a single narrative instead of a multiple lar- instead of multiple largely unrelated events uh, throughout a character's life as is the case with greatest hits and cabin fever so just an interesting notion there that this is where that um, mechanism in many ways ends um, seeing chapters of uh people's past uh limited to the people from uh from uh the crash of 815 so with that let's look ahead to next week next week is the oh so memorable oh so fun uh deserved payoff that is the brig 319 the brig uh, a lock episode although in many ways uh yeah, in many ways, there's a, a Sawyer component to it, of course. So, we have that to look forward to next week. If you'd like to share feedback, the best way is to say hello to me on Twitter, where I'm looking back lost. You can call the listener line, 732-707-1815. Send an email to lookingbackatlost at gmail.com. Leave a comment on the webpage, lookingbackatlost.podbean.com. So, thank you all for listening. As always, I'm glad that we're able to uh, have our weekly get-togethers. So, take care, everybody. Talk to you again next week for 319 The Brig. Bye-bye. Make your mother sigh. She's old enough to know better. To cry, baby, cry.